In today's episode, we're going to further develop our conversation on authority by considering something that we call the balance of power. To do this, we are going to have a discussion about toxic masculinity, and we're going to take a look at how authority works depending on which seat you have at the table. Toxic masculinity. Toxic masculinity. Toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. Here we go. I'm a bad person because I'm a male. So... Is the idea that you are a man and therefore intrinsically a dickwad, like, hold water? Or is there something that just gets lost in the mix because guys are always, hurrah, and let's do it, and rub some dirt on that. Let's go. Well, I think we would need to be careful that we talk about the relationship between men and women in context and not just play with toxic masculinity. I think toxic masculinity is a term for the unexamined authority that men use and have used for the duration of human history. How do you think about that, Kyla? Yeah, it just seems to be like, um, I mean, just like you were saying, just unexamined um, power, which doesn't seem to breed um, always the smartest or the best decisions or what's best for everybody or um, inclusion or, you know, all these things that, that, um, that our country is trying to, you know, kind of bring about as more of a social norm. Um, Yeah. You're being pretty polite because the word is toxic, not uncomfortable masculinity or. Well, yeah, but it's also, it's also a, um, like everything's on a continuum, right? Like right. not every dude is like the worst, most abusive man ever and not, you know, right. every woman is a saint. So, you know, it's on a continuum and I'm not I'm not willing to, to throw everyone in on one side or another. So, Yeah, I remember talking to you a while back about King David in the Bible and we went through the stuff that's in the Bible and you're like, yeah, that's some toxic masculinity right yeah, there. Yeah, he's like the epitome of toxic masculinity and he's like one of like, like in biblical culture, like he's one of the the foremost masculine heroes of the church and that, you know, dudes are supposed to strive to be like him and he's out here making all these shitty choices. So, so basically if I hear you right from your perspective, toxic, toxic masculinity has a couple important parts. One is pretty bad behavior on the part of a powerful man who takes what he wants, kills who he wants and so on and so forth. And then to double down on that dysfunction, we then celebrate that as the way God wants masculinity to work somehow. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, like I've looked at some studies and stuff and I can't I can't quote names. I'm terrible at quoting. But um, of just like how like other primates deal with um, like toxic masculine traits and like if there's one dominant male who's exhibiting these toxic traits um, you know he can pillage and dominate for a while but then the other males will beat him down the other males that have a better social standing and more social grace will beat him down into his place so he can't be the dominant and in human society that's not the case we kind of tend to promote those hyper masculine narcissistic um, over dominant behaviors in men and 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 that's how we choose a lot of our world leaders there's a lot of world leaders that kind of fit that bill at the moment um so 
Donald Trump comes to mind. <laughs> Let's just get down into it. <laughs> well, first of all, I did also, see. Also, Mr. Putin kind of fits in that also. I, I like. saw a thing Fair. on Bonobos. I, the very yeah, thing you're yeah, talking about. Yep, yep. yep. All right. Yeah, Trump, uh, do you want, we want to talk about Trump? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, if we're going to talk about men that just don't give a rip. Can I do 60 seconds? I'll give you 45. Okay. <laughs> History has been dominated by the strength of men. You can go back into Roman society uh, 2,500, 2,400 years ago, and women were just accessories. They didn't have a whole lot of rights. There were a few standout women who managed to, uh, because of their incredible intellect and wit and their ability to charm and to play both sides of the fence, they could get a seat at the table. But generally speaking, women um, did not have the same rights, never have. Um, in Roman society, I think, uh, I, I can't remember the, the famous Roman writer, but basically anytime there's a rape, the woman, the, the woman, oh, Constantine, Emperor Constantine, anytime there is a rape, the woman is partially responsible <laughs> in, in the Bible. Oh you know, we use that logic today, which is bullshit. Right. So we, so, so I think in this conversation about toxic masculinity, we should always keep in mind the process that got us to today and how recent it has been where powerful men have been brought to account. And then, how powerful can you be and not be brought to account? So we got a Harvey Weinstein, he's out. You know, we got Bill Cosby, he's out. But we got Trump, he's kind of still in with a lot of people, including people in my family, people in my church. People it's, in my family, too. It's really weird. I, it's It's interesting to see, like, the mob mentality if you will around particular uh what's the word i want um not idols but like help me out here famous personas like yeah like like the, the cult of personality yeah like like there's this mob mentality around certain types of people okay, but why is that see the, the thing that we started out at the very beginning toxic masculinity is this combination of male behavior that's been accepted and then you say mob mentality i say the celebration of i would say in the church it's the it's the man for god's own heart yeah so something something about the toxic masculinity instead of it being condemned for <clears throat> pardon me all of the harm and damage that it causes for some reason we look at it and we say actually that person's kind of a cultural hero because he's been able to accomplish X, Y, Z, despite the fact that he's basically a douche. I'm not sure. Well, and it, it kind of is weird because like, I think we've talked about on here, um, or at least, you, you know, us three have talked about it, not, you know, off mic, um, that it seems to be that negative you know, things that have more of a negative connotation usually have more weight. And in this instance, that's not the case. It's like, like the negative connotations that are, that go along with the, the toxic masculine actions, um, is separated from it. So we only, you know, um, for the people it works for, they're only promoting what they think is the good out of it. Like the ends justify the means or something, you know, mm -hmm. when you have all this negative stuff stacked, you know, on the end, that's always been there, but we're ignoring that, even though it vastly outweighs, like, you know, the good the qualities, intro. right? So, why would somebody 
celebrate, support, and fight for a powerful man whose behavior seems to be incredibly dangerous. People like confidence a lot. And um, I think there is like a, a little bit of a feeling of controlled danger and confidence, right? Like um, authority is kind of like like a harness danger, you know? So, yeah. They kind of they kind of like to gloss the gap, if you will, between a and a result that is praiseworthy and the means in which to get there. And somehow they just kind of like gloss over all of the all of the ir- irreprehensible behavior or actions or <clears throat> um, damage it does to maybe a, 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 a geological group of people or a political group of people or a social group of people to get to, you know, more jobs or, you know, no abortions. And we'll touch on that here in a little bit. You know, like there's there's something about the 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 end results of being the man and this toxic masculinity thing that people like to just kind of gloss over and ignore because they get the results that people think are necessary. Okay. So your, your hypothesis there is that the end justifies the means for a lot of people. And I think you're right. And they gloss over the gap between all this smarmy, evil, underhanded stuff and the, the supposed results. Yeah. So, if I'm going to, if I'm going to examine the authority being exercised in that particular mindset, not saying you have it, that mindset, I would then ask the obvious question to me is, who is getting results? Because who is getting results is the precursor to whether or not we gloss over the bad behavior. So, for instance, um, if Trump says, you know, it's great, man, you can just grab him by the pussy. They want you to. Yeah, hold on. Oh. Let me, and if he marries and then cheats on his wives, if he pay, pays people off that he's committed adultery with, um, I'm not running down Stormy Daniels for being in porn, but that's not exactly um, what your wife wants to hear you've been hanging out with. I'm wondering if most women like the results from Trump and they refuse to gloss over that bad behavior. It'd be interesting to know across the country is it's just, is it even Steven male, female on the conservative, right? Or there's, is there, is there hedging going on with females on the conservative, right? Who aren't as comfortable with Trump as their husbands are. Well, from my own personal extended family, I have somebody in my family, I won't mention, but they, love Trump because of what he does. And this woman, I don't know if she just doesn't notice, chooses to ignore or what, but she's a full-fledged Trump Trumpite, Trumpian, whatever you want to call it. And I don't know how you and I'm I'm not a woman, so, you know, forgive me, but I don't know how you support somebody like that when they have little to no respect for your sex. Okay. That's one, that's one 
uh, um, demographic. Now let's do black America. Do, do black Americans like the results? And do they then therefore gloss over the bad behavior because they like the results? I don't know. I am a white American, but from the voting patterns I've seen and the voting reports, I would say that a large portion of black America is not interested in Mr. Trump being their president. Um, let's go with the homosexual community. Let's go with um, minorities in general. Let's go with um, immigrants. Let's go with uh, the trans community. Let's go with the poor people. Um, my hypothesis would be, and we would need to do a bunch of research and gather a lot of data, that all those groups I just mentioned are not happy enough with the results to gloss over the bad behavior. So why is it that he has such a large what's uh, following? following tide swell of, of supporters then? Now we're going to get into a whole podcast on Trump, which I don't want to do. But <laughs> I think personally it's a combination of the power of the male voice and the power of the church voice, which, quite frankly, are pretty much the same thing. But when you get um, men admiring strength and results and justifies the means, and then you give it spiritual Christian, even Jesus-based permission, I think that's a pretty powerful cocktail. Fair. Well, I don't want it to be a podcast on Trump. We are talking about ma toxic masculinity, and so icons of that are going to float to the surface as we talk about it. It's kind of inevitable, in my opinion. Kyla, can you think of somebody else that you think is a decent representation of toxic masculinity? I know you mentioned King David in the Bible. Basically, just because of his popularity in the church and hit, the church likes to perpetuate um, his narrative and the way he does things as, you know, a man after God's own heart. And if you're, st you know, um, taking women away from their husbands and then killing their husbands and also knocking them up. And then, you know, just I mean, there's a there's a load of stuff he just does. That's total garbage. And and yet we're like. <laughs> The church is like, this is, yeah, this guy, you know, whatever. And it, yeah, it just doesn't, well, it doesn't make any sense God, at all. God chose him. Deal with it. Fuck God, man. <laughs> His choice sucks. That doesn't make any sense. The results suck ass. So <laughs> yeah. if we're looking at the fruit, the fruit's rotten. I don't disagree. None of the hosts, contributors, administrators, or anyone else connected with who told you that in any way whatsoever can be held responsible for the influence of our profanity on the use of the English language. All words, terms, idioms, and colorful language contained in this podcast are the express decision of its hosts and are a necessary part of processing hypothetical truth with any amount of accuracy, fairness, and efficacy. Now that we've had our conversation about toxic masculinity, we want to unpack the idea of balance of power and how that played out in this conversation and how we evaluate somebody's response to not having power or being disenfranchised. Yeah, it is really interesting to take a step back from any conversation, any interaction, and ask yourself who has the balance of power and who um, has a smaller voice. I realize these things take place on a continuum. It's not necessarily polarized. He has all the power. She has none of it something like that, but there's always a 70-30, a 60-40, a even if it's 51-49, it's always interesting to recognize the balance of power. Yeah, and it's not always like in complete 
um, it's not in 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 whole oftentimes either. It's often in specific scenarios too. Yeah. You know, you might have fifty percent or sixty percent of the power in a specific part of a marriage or relationship, but in another part, you might be on the on the lower end of the power spectrum rather than on the upper side. Right. Depending on the situation, you may find yourself with the upper hand, or you may find yourself at a disadvantage. My um, my wife and I did a uh, couples retreat many years ago, and uh, on the third or fourth day, we like to introduce a concept of balance of power. And it's interesting how many couples think that such a thing is is uh, doesn't exist, or it's not fair, or uh, they're just very uncomfortable with the concept. And so, in this particular couples retreat, we had uh, a whole bunch of couples from our church and several churches that were associated with our church. And so my wife and I knew most of the couples. So the night before, we took 60 seconds, and we said a couple's name, and we both said who had the balance of power, and we wrote it down. We took 60 seconds. Uh, the next day in the afternoon, our session was on balance of power. We taught on it. We did some exercises, and we did a test in which we had 10 different topics, and we asked the couples to rate themselves uh, 60, 40, 70, 30, 90, 10, who had the more, more power, say, in how the finances are, are controlled or who uh, initiated sex or who disciplined the kids, that, that kind of stuff. Um, and again, the, 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 the majority of the couples in the room thought that this was uh, a very unfair uh, thing to discuss. Now, now, maybe I should say... Why would that be unfair to discuss? Though? Maybe I should say the people who are about to find out that they had the balance of power... Oh, okay. thought that this topic made them uncomfortable. So yeah, we, okay, I, I see where you're going with this. We did that. We 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 did the questions. We got the percentages. We added them all up, um, and then we went around the room and we said, "Oh, you okay, know, so so, uh, Rick and and Lucy, um, Lucy, you you have a higher score than Rick. You have the balance of power in your relationship." And then different reactions of different couples. And this was this this took a long time to do all of this stuff. Then I said, "Now I'm going to pull a piece of paper." my back pocket and I will read to you the uh, the results of this test that, that my wife and I uh, compiled in 60 seconds last night just because we know you guys and watch you guys operate. We went around the room and we got all except one correct. And Out of we how did, many? Um, I don't know, about 15 couples. Okay. And the one that we got incorrect um, was an older couple that had recently married both of them in their second marriage. Um, and so uh, that was a bit different dynamic, but it wasn't like there was a mystery, but it sure was a revelation to the couples when, when they figured out there was such a thing a balance of power existed. I don't think it's so much a revelation, like as much as it is you you don't like looking at things that are uncomfortable. So a little self-awareness, a little personal honesty, you're saying. Yeah. Like, if if you, like, transparency here, I, I have most of the authority when it comes to finances in my relationship with my wife. So there are times where I don't like to look at that because I'll be a bit more loose with the budget and I'll be, I'll hold my wife more accountable to things. And um, it's so... Well, that's a perfect summary about how, how it works. Yeah. Who pays more taxes in this country? The rich, the lawmakers, or the masses that are just making, just making it? I mean, uh, you can look at the numbers, but... Yeah, that's a conversation for a different day. So I, 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 want, I want, as we, as we talk about the balance of power, 
it, it is something that exists in all relationships, and from 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 just a friendship, the marriage, siblings, neighborhoods, communities, sports teams, businesses, politics. Um, it's it's all very uh, um, ubiquitous. I don't want to use that word. Um, <laughs> very, it's all very commonplace. This balance of power, just as you're admitting, a lot yeah. of people don't want to look at it. And either they don't they don't want to look at it, and they also don't they don't, they don't think about it. But they also don't think about it because they don't want to have to think about it because it makes them uncomfortable. Yeah, uh, let's let's just mention Colin Kaepernick. Black man who kneels during the national anthem at a time when our country is realizing just how dangerous it is to drive while black, um, how dangerous it is in some communities to be black with with a predominantly white police force. Now, I love the police. Please don't get mad at me for talking about uh, about this. But the reality is people wanted Colin Kaepernick to protest at a more convenient time for white America. We didn't want our football games and a national anthem um, interrupted and be made to feel uncomfortable because we just want to be entertained. And the question, obvious question, is, well, when is the appropriate time for the disenfranchised to protest? There isn't. It's, it's going to be what, when it's going to make the most shock and it's going to be seen by the most people. If you're trying to protest something, you do it when people are watching and it doesn't matter if that's during a football game or if that's during a speech at the Washington Memorial like it doesn't matter so here is a uh, there's, there's several pieces of balance of power here is one you should remember Colin Kaepernick's protest made a lot of uh, white America uncomfortable for the period of time in which he kneeled during the national anthem and then the resultant conversations in the weeks to follow Black America was uncomfortable 24-7, 365. So just realizing that being made uncomfortable, being made angry, being made to feel like something's wrong with me is part of the nature of the protest of the powerless. It is necessary to feel something of what they feel if anything good is going to come from the protest. If any progress is going to be made, it can't just be in ivory towers with people who are being nice to each other. There's going to be behavior that makes the powerful feel uncomfortable. Period. End the discussion. That's how the people with a smaller voice, a lesser voice, less power, that's how they must interact with those with power. Rolling back to my to my wife here, sometimes when she's feeling gussy, she's like, so why why do you get to go out and get McDonald's while you're at lunch, but I'm at home with the kids and I have to eat leftovers? And I, I don't like that question. It doesn't make me feel great. And then I have to come up sometimes with some bullshit answer, if I'm being <laughs> honest. There you go. That probably should be point number two about this conversation of of the balance of power. Those in power come up with bullshit answers. Yeah, it's. I mean, like it doesn't. It doesn't really matter how far up the scale you want to go. We're using a microcosm here about me and my wife, but these things are going to travel up and get exponentially bigger as you go up in power scale. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And so Martin Luther King Jr. is getting ready to shut down an entire city with a boycott. 
and uh, the powers that be say, no, that's not happening. This is inconvenient for us, and they kill him. Um, you're right. The further up up uh, you, you go into the realms of higher power, the more is on the line. So to remember, Kyler responded to the King David story um, pretty vehemently. And I, I'd like to just— Fuck God is, is basically asking for damnation, so it, it's pretty big. And I'm sure a lot of our listeners are made uncomfortable by that and even offended. And I kind of hope you are because that's how this works. That's the purpose of who told you that. The Bible is exclusively male. Not a word of it is written by a female. Well, isn't there a book in the Bible, Ruth? About a woman. There's women characters, but the writers are always male. And I, I, I'm not a Bible scholar, so I'm just going to ask the question. We're sure that that's not written by a woman? And like, is there any way to be positive? No. All history is probabilities, but the probability that a woman wrote that is is infinitesimal. Um, the the controllers of the pen in, in, in the spiritual realm, both Judeo and Christian, are, are exclusively uh, male. There are, there are some writers in the Middle Ages um, that are female. Jean Guion comes to mind and some others. But as far as the major influencers, those who wrote the foundational um, documents, these are exclusively male. And the handlers of the theology and those books, those who, who had the right to interpret, are almost exclusively male. And so for a woman to have a, 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 an opinion about King David, it, it flies in the face of 3,000 years of Judeo-Christian scriptural history, and I'm not sure what they're supposed to say. They're certainly not, until recently, getting any kind of a voice. No, it's it's been basically, you know, you are your husband's property up until, I don't know, 200, 300 years ago. Property, yes, but practicality, that continued up well into the 20th century. Yeah, for sure. It's it's just, if you're a woman, you don't, you didn't, and you, and up until recent history, you didn't have, you don't have a say in, in how, in what is considered, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, proper influences for culture like you you weren't allowed to examine or even um question whether or not your your husband's head of the household decision is is a good idea if you had a good husband maybe you could talk to him in the bedroom when nobody was else was around right but you can never question anything let alone you know the the tradition and the history of of the the heroes Yep. of your society. Yep, and so the question, this begs the question, is there a cumulative effect to enforced silence? In other so words, like compounding? Yeah, compound interest on you don't have a say, do what I say. I've always wondered that, honestly. Like, it seems like there is in a a bill that comes due. You know, the, yeah. the, the longer you aren't allowed to have a voice, whether in a marriage or a society... It's like a volcano. Like if there's not pressure let out of over time, it's going to go off in some big explosion in some way, shape, or fashion. And when that happens, everybody decries the big explosion, the bad behavior, the rudeness, the swearing, the disrespect, the blasphemy, the violence. And I find that very interesting because in the moment, you know, um, let's just take our little podcast here. It would be a big deal in some circles to say "fuck God." Um, those are two words lasted less than a second. Um, and I'm, 
be interested to know if people initially, when they heard that on this podcast, compared those two words in that second of time and the offense it caused with 3,000 years of the violence perpetrated by men who led God's people, whether it was the enforcement of the law by capital punishment, whether it was whipping, whether it was just war, whether it was the Inquisition, whether it was torture sanctioned by the church, whether it was anti-Semitism, and on and on and on and on and on. Um, I don't think that most people will stop in the moment listening to somebody, I'm doing air quotes here, behaving poorly because they've had enforced silence and stop and realize that that me as, as a man, I've had an outlet for my frustration and my voice. I get a seat at the table. Yeah, I got to get up and preach sermons and, and write books and say what I thought. And so I don't have this, this, this compounding bill, this yeah. volcano building up in me because I've had an expression for it. And people listen. If, if you want to say, well, no, they might think that you're crazy, but you're a man. So they'll listen to you three times, if not more, than they would a woman that's saying the same thing that you're saying. And so a lot of men are offended by even the term of toxic masculinity. And you know what? We should be because it's supposed to be offensive and get to a point. It's supposed to be a summary for thousands of years of oppression. Does that mean every man is uh, caricatured by this phrase, toxic masculinity? Absolutely not. But being aware of how much damage it has done, I think that's every man's responsibility. And most of us have not taken the time to educate ourselves to understand just how much domination, misogyny, persecution, just flat-out evil has been done because men have the first and the last say. Yeah, and it's it's very rare, if ever, that a man chooses not to. And the proof in the pudding for me is Kyla's second point about toxic masculinity, in which she said not only is the behavior toxic, but then the church went ahead and paraded it in front of the masses as appropriate male behavior. And according to Kyla, that's that's the worst of the two parts of toxic masculinity. Like, this is normal, young men. This is normal, grade school boys. This is normal. This is the way you are you are designed by God to behave, and God endorses it. That just sounds like a recipe for so much crap. Which, in fact, it has been, and we've been reaping the fruits and eating that for quite some time, actually. Yeah, so balance of power, guys. It is uh, a real thing, and the next time you find yourself in a conversation, ask yourself um, whether you sit at the head of the table or the foot of the table or somewhere in between. And then try to have your conversation um, with the amount of grace your seat demands. Yeah, I think we've mentioned this before in, in the podcast. The more power you have, <clears throat> the more authority that you have, the more you need to exercise it in a way that makes space for somebody else Yes. To have power and have a voice. That's very good. That is that is so important. It will cost. Only one person can speak at a time. It'll cost somebody somewhere the things they want to say if new voices are added to the conversation. Yeah. And unfortunately for those in power, it it should be and it will be and it has to be us. 
Yeah. Who Told You That is a serious podcast attempting to infuse public discourse with more honesty, integrity, and inclusion. With this in mind, we have mansplained Kyla's passionate rejection of traditional Christian male authority and set her outbursts in its proper context. Friendly reminder, you can get in touch with us at whotoldyouthatpod at gmail.com. We look forward to y'all tuning in to future episodes. We also encourage you to engage with us on our socials to have conversations with us. While we intend for these conversations to be entertaining, we truly wish to dialogue with you on these topics as you take your own journey down the rabbit hole. See you next time. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or account of this podcast without the express written consent of who told you that is prohibited.